You're listening to Women Making Waves. Linda Ness and I, Susie Thorpe, spoke to Rania Kurdi. But you were kind of mooted as the Tracy Ullman of, uh, of the Middle East. I was uh, really chuffed with that because I love Tracy Ullman and I love Catherine Tate. Getting up then, I had like five minutes to think, oh my God, what can I talk about? What do I start with? And I thought, well, I've just been from a, for a mammogram and um, I'll talk about that because I think it's hilarious um, how bad they are. <laughs> they haven't invented... Ghastly. Yeah, they haven't <laughs> invented something yet that could be like a cup that sucks on and just twists around. Yeah. You've got to, like, yes. slap on your yeah. breast. Into, and I haven't and got flatten much. it. Yeah. yeah, and then squeeze it and flatten it. And, and So I decided to talk about that and how awkward it all is. We're delighted to welcome Rania Kurdi, Jordanian-British bilingual comedy actress, singer and TV presenter. A diverse career in the Middle East spanning 20 years in TV, film, voiceovers, theatre and topped the Arab pop music charts as well. Very recently, you're adding another role, which is coaching, transformational life coach and motivational speaker. And we hear... You do all your stunts. Welcome, Rania Rackham. <laughs> I sound like a right show off. <laughs> what came first in your career? Was it the comedy actress? Was it the singing? Was it TV presenting? Well, as a child, it started with singing. Um, and that was because I was learning the guitar as an instrument. And uh, I took it quite seriously. and wanted to sort of be a rock singer in a band. So uh, I was singing songs that were way more adult than my age at nine. So I suppose the acting was seeping through there. And then I got into musical theatre when I was 11. Loved acting, liked putting myself in somebody else's shoes, feeling how it would be for them, um, getting an audience to, to sense that and react. Little did I know that that was what attracts me to psychology and human nature and... Um, human emotion and that's why I'm really attracted now to motivational speaking and to coaching. So I finally trained in um, 93 in England. I loved drama school and performing arts college and after that you know had a career in that for 20 years. But um, the career depends on a lot of other people so it's not you know something you can choose yourself. So a lot of the time I would produce or I would write out of that need. You know, I would have a message that I wanted to put across or I had an idea that I wanted to say and I didn't want to play the girlfriend or or sweet little roles or um, refugees or terrorists, which is pretty much, you know, how you start getting typecast because you speak another language. Too true. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but you were kind of mooted as the Tracy Ullman of, uh, of the Middle East. I was uh, really chuffed with that because I love Tracy Ullman and I love mm-hmm. Catherine Tate. And actually the first comedian female that I uh, loved was Carol Burnett, which shows my age a bit, but <laughs> I was watching her as a really young kid in the 70s. And uh, hopefully there's a chance and an opportunity for me to go to Stanford University next year, which is... Oh, wow. Um, yeah, uh, the... Uh, the lecturer who wrote about me there, or named me Tracy Ullman of the Arabs, actually uses my comedy sketches from the Rania show that I did to teach um, his students about culture there. So I was really pleased with that. I couldn't believe it. And, and they're asking me to possibly go next year and put on a one-woman show. So it might be like a, a 
motivational talk, TED talk, mixed with entertainment and, and singing. That's so, really interesting. You're talking about teaching the culture. So mm. is that something that, that that's quite important, isn't it, when we're trying to make everything quite diverse and, and really understand different cultures. Did that, did that really delight you when you were asked? I mean, not only yes. going to Stanford, but also just the whole reason about being invited. Yes, and, and just showing a different side to Arabs as well than, than people expect. So there's a lots, lots of international students that are learning Arabic now and coming to the Middle East and wanting to be there, but need to understand like the differences in culture or the similarities. Sometimes they think it's so different, but actually, you know, there's so, so many things that are similar. What was interesting was I started doing my comedy sketches on Snapchat when I moved to England to just keep up the sort of show that I had done in Jordan and the fans that were still asking for those characters and it developed and developed so much doing them in England from home with people that I was interacting with every day that I then had began to see who my audience were because they would Snapchat me back with a video and they would imitate me and they would dress up as my characters and a lot of them were men dressing up as my characters and it was hilarious and children and mums with their daughters so it expanded and expanded that I started making a, a compilation video of them so that they could see themselves and we would post them on Facebook and then I was invited to um, Cam Creative to give a talk about how to use Snapchat in a different way and that was the most thing that had impact on the audience was that they got to see Arab men being silly and having a laugh and dressing up, just being joyful because that's not what they see on the news and it's not what they hear. That was really, really lovely because that's not what I expected to come out of it, you know? Because it's always the thing, isn't it, when you've become so well-known in a particular country and then you're moving into the UK, were you a little bit frightened of that move and how you were going to then bring your show, your brand, I suppose, in many ways, over. But cleverly, you've used Snapchat. Where did you get the idea from? It was friends or fans that keep pushing me back into social media. You know, I kind of steer away from it. And then they'll say, no, lots of people are imitating you and they're making use of phrases that you've made up and they're getting to be asked to, be, you know, be influencers and they're doing this and that. You should do it. And I was like, well, I don't really want to be on camera saying, oh, I've eaten this today. I've been here today. I've, you know, I didn't really know what to do yeah. on Snapchat. That wasn't that. It all started with a juicer, really. I bought a juicer one day and I thought, oh, I could talk about this juicer because I didn't really understand influencing yet. I could talk about this juicer without my face, but I would do my character voices. I'd do the accents. So I did it in all five different characters, how they would feel about this juicer. And then slowly my hand would be in it. Slowly um, I didn't, I'd put other people in it, you know, with other stories. And then it developed to me dressing fully, like changing wigs, <laughs> putting in contact lenses. I totally started getting into character. My neighbours would find me in the car doing one <laughs> or I'd be walking outside <laughs> or I'd be in the high street. So it became quite extreme by the time, you know, I'd done it for a year and it had reached... Um, to having three million followers and they were all over the world. So it was crazy, but I didn't take it to another level. I sort of stopped there. I felt like it was taking over my life. It was a bit overwhelming. And then on other sides, you know, I was a single mom or still a single mom and I was going through losing my mom and I had lots of issues that I had to deal with and I thought this Snapchat can be quite addictive for you, you know, dealing with your real emotions. Mm. So for that reason, I shifted and... Uh, 
And then I went through my own stuff and that's when I um, had a brilliant coach who really helped me through it. And I'd always wanted to study psychology but didn't really know kind of where to start or what to do. That wasn't going to take me another five years or something. And then I trained as a coach mostly for myself, for my kids. Um, I've always been someone who likes to recommend things, help people, but a bit of a saviour so it drains me or it can be a bit too much. So coaching was brilliant to teach me how to just do it in a much healthier way. And since then, uh, any videos that I do tend to be, I mean, there is humour in it and there is humour in how I work with people one-to-one as well. I am trying to motivate mostly women to be more daring in life. And I found that that part of me that has been daring is what has led me to so many exciting things and adventures because I never said, well, why not me? Well, I need to do this, but there isn't a script out there that there isn't a producer that's asking me to. So, well, I'll write it. And I won't think, well, I've never written a script. I don't know how to write a script. I'll just go and look at a script, figure it out, do the best that I can, contact few people and realise that because I've started that energy and that flow, someone comes from the right place and says, yeah, let's work together. And actually, it was a famous writer who lives in Haddenham called Leslie Stewart. And that's how I've ended up in Ely. Because you said at one of your most recent events, I think it was called How Daring Helped Me Create Opportunities. And so, mm. you know, what exactly kicked you to be so daring? What, what's the dare is quite a it's quite an interesting mm. word, isn't it? Dare. It's it's almost someone pushing you. Yeah. Who's doing that? I push myself and I'm not sure where it's come from, but um, I'm not daring in that I'll bungee jump or do something <laughs> that's life threatening at all. But I'll do something that pushes me out of my comfort zone. And I think that's where I get my adrenaline rush or that kick. I'm an only child, so it might have been out of boredom. <laughs> but then again, I could have been very cocooned and played it safe, you know. So I, I, I'm a Gemini. It could be that. I think it's just a combo of things. But I've always been inspired not by people who can do better or more, but by people who are doing it when they seem to have less. So if I see a singer who's not all that good but is selling albums and going out there and being confident, I think, well, if she's doing it, definitely have yeah. a go and make this work. If I see Housewife has written a novel and it's gone crazy like Fifty Shades of Grey, well, good for her. Why Absolutely. Shouldn't, you know, mm. why should I think that I can't write a novel because I haven't written one or I need, like, a degree or letters after my name? And I think I've always just looked at other people's achievements and thought, yeah, I can do that. Perfect background for yeah. motivational speaking, actually. I can mm. imagine, because that's exactly what to tell women, um, because a lot of women don't have that confidence. When you, when you had three million followers on Snapchat, did it occur to you to go on to be a YouTuber? Because it, that strikes me as being something that, you know, a lot of people were doing at the time and, and might have been the next move. Mm. Lots of people suggested I do that. And then I talked to somebody who seemed a bit of an expert in the field. And um, he said to me, well, it's really strange that you're trying to now make a name on YouTube after you have on actual television and broadcast whereas it's usually the other way around you start off as a blogger or a vlogger or YouTube and then maybe reach mm. TV and I thought yeah okay and then it means me monetizing it and knowing how to run it like a business and be very consistent with it and I don't think I had enough consistency because I jumped from one thing to another 
which I have coached myself on and had other people coach me on and (laughs) I'm much better now. So now I'm thinking of doing the YouTube, but now that I've found what I'm really passionate about and what I want to be consistent with, which is mental and well-being generally. So the sort of books that I read, I really like um, sharing that and then that can lead to people coming to me for coaching and so most of my videos now I'm planning to do that where it's going to be like a book trailer so you can hear all the best bits because as I do audiobooks and I do voiceovers mm-hmm. and I'm reading anyway and enjoying what I'm reading I thought I'll start videos doing that. Now I know when you've been talking about that you become a motivational speaker along with all the many, many other careers that you have. But I see that you were in a film in 2017. You were in the Daphne film. Mm. So what happened there? Because I've seen the Daphne film. Have you? Yeah, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Just tell us what it's about, the Daphne film. Well, it's about a a woman in her 30s who's sort of not feeling passionate about life. Everything is just not working out. Bad relationship with her mother. Um, Wants to be a, a, a sous chef and... It's also not going the way she wants. And so she's numbing herself, whether with alcohol or bad relationships. And so it's a very realistic movie, kind of like when you watch a French movie. Yeah. You know, it's not planned out. You can't, you don't know what to expect. And then she happens to witness um, this man being stabbed in, in a shop that he works in and she helps him and calls the ambulance and so she's really part in saving his life and she realizes it has affected her and she does go to therapy a few times and they mention that you know she should go and check on him or did she find out what happened to him because that might give her closure and um, so she comes and she meets his family and actually that is the bit that makes her feel better and connected and like there's purpose to her life and she leaves feeling happier. So it's a very sweet, subtle ending of Mm. how she's found purpose. And um, because I'm in that final few scenes, because I'm the wife of that man, and she comes to our home... I uh, I didn't actually read the whole script. I was just told the story. <laughs> they don't give you the whole script. They just give you the bit you're in. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, well, I don't see how that relates to the story of Daphne herself, you know, that I'm the wife and she comes and visits us. And then what? You know, I didn't get why her visiting us mm. was so meaningful. Until you um, saw the film. Yes. And then, <laughs> then we went to the screening and it was the most beautiful scene because it wrapped up the whole story and I just hadn't realised that. So it was so nice yeah. to then see. But it can work the opposite way. It can work where you think you've done something and it was in a nice movie and you go and the movie's awful or your part and how it relates to what you've done is something you would totally be against. <laughs> yeah, or you've been hacked and you the editing floor. <laughs> So, yeah, that one was a positive turn. And I've done a lovely movie recently, which comes out beginning of 2020. But uh, it's in Arabic, but hopefully it'll be subtitled and on Netflix. Um, So Are we allowed to know a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Go on then. It's about three women, so yay again. And uh, three different generations of women. Uh, I'm the middle one and I'm the second wife. Um, and I discover that the first wife was never divorced by the husband after he dies, and he's left the house to both of us, and um, it's the house that she's living in, so there's this fight over the house. And I'm a social influencer, a vlogger, 
but really shallow. And she's a much older sort of woman that's that's not got a lot of humour and she's struggling to, like, do uh, baked goods and sell from the house and um, to make money and survive. And she's got a younger daughter who's unhappily married and she keeps coming over and, and, and staying there and she's a bit of an alcoholic. So I start using that to my advantage and I'm blackmailing her that I know she's adopted and I'm going to tell her if she doesn't give me the house or she doesn't sell it so that I get my half and she doesn't want to sell it. And so it's this difficult relationship between three women, but how in the end we all connect and I learn a lot from living with her and she learns a lot from me. I, I can't keep up with how many roles you have in your life. I mean, there's so many. How do you cope with all that? And I'm actually not very busy. <laughs> So, you know, you'd be like, when can you come to do the podcast? Anytime. You know, I don't well, have like a advantage. schedule um, and things sort of fit around. Um, so that film really, in effect, took three weeks, you know, and it was over and done with. And I think that's how I like working as well. They're projects and then that's it. Yeah. And then if I do motivational speaking, it's literally I'm off for an hour to do something. Or if I'm going to travel somewhere, I'll go for the weekend, do it, come back. So it's not it's not constant. I'm also writing now for Netflix. Goodness, you've just added another role. <laughs> I don't think I have it on the paper here. It's, it's <laughs> a film that I did eight years ago with Leslie Stewart. My idea, and we started developing together when I when I moved here, but we didn't get it produced. And so that's come up again, and I'm turning it and changing it into a three uh, three seasons series. That will be Arabic and English because it's based on a true story that happened to me and it's quite comedic. Um, it's about a woman who discovers she has milk siblings, which is kind of like, it's a whole cultural thing. Um, a wet nurse back in the day is something that in Islam is considered to be a milk mother. It's not actually that you hire a wet nurse. It's, you know, your neighbour might have helped you out or a friend or whatever if you didn't have milk. That child will become your milk sibling. A lot of people have milk siblings. And nowadays with powdered milk and all that, you know, and, and modern civilization is not happening as much. So for me to discover that when my mum had me in Chichester in 73... Uh, I had difficulty breathing for a few days. I was in an incubator, and so they pumped the milk for me. But as they were pumping it, they were like, can we use it for the other babies on the ward that don't have breast milk available? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I was like, what? I've got <laughs> breast milk <to> me. <laughs> <laughs> so I've created this whole story of this woman who comes to England who's never been to England to try and search for them and explain herself to each and every one of them. And, of course, they're very different characters from very different backgrounds and races here for her to, like, get her head around, oh, OK, this one's this, oh, this one's whatever, this one's, you know, and see her cope. Um, so that that's sounds what, that's great. Cool. Great idea. <laughs> On the, on the motivational speaking, what is it you enjoy most about it? Is it almost like doing a performance? Is it the feedback from the audience? What do you really enjoy about it? I think it's the feedback and seeing that spark in, in people's eyes that have suddenly got excited about just letting go and going for something. And when I've had like face-to-face -face coaching and that's happened from like first session where... You just realise that you have these negative thought patterns, you have these fears, you have things really based on a on a 
a trauma or an idea that you decided worked best for you at age seven or age nine, and you don't need any of that anymore. And you just see them like shed that baggage and that idea there and then. And then they're just ready to go for it. And a lot of the time I get to find out how they've gone for it. You know, they've sent me like only a few weeks later. I've started a a website now with all my poetry that will be on weekly. You know, can you tell people to share it and stuff? And it's just been great to see them get creative. Or I've got a neighbor who I work with. She's ditched her job. She's got a different one. She's lost weight. She's motivated. She tells me now, let's do this for fun. This is more playful let's go swimming but let's do diving why shouldn't we dive it's not just for kids but it's really just to kind of say yes to everything rather than say mm, I yes. don't know yes it's like the uh, yes man I think it's called yes. Jim Carrey yes yeah and learning where to say no to create boundaries and uh, and sort of respect yourself so that you're not a people pleaser so actually I said too many yeses in all areas, which didn't help me, only helped me in the daring sort of area. But I was really draining myself and losing my energy to things I didn't want to do just because I didn't want to say no. Mm -hmm. So learning where to say no and where to say yes has been very exciting. So the no's can be just as exciting as the yes's. (laughs) So if the no is out of fear, then that's not good. But if the no is out of actually, no, I'd rather be doing this or I don't have time for that. I want to do this for me or I need to rest or I need to, you know, and you know your needs, then the no is really good then. There's a there's a lot of thought at the moment that women aren't funny. Women can't be comedians. Have you ever had that sort of sort of backlash? If I have, I can't remember. Good. Okay. <laughs> so, That's good. <laughs> that is good. Yeah. Um, and I, I always feel it's sad when I see women trying to compete with men to be funny in a manly sort of way. So they're swearing a lot and they're trying to talk about their sex life and they're trying to be hardcore so that they can kind of be on the same level. Mm. And I I kind of feel, no, that, you know, you've got a whole other dimension and box of tools that you can work with. You don't have to be like them Mm. and copy. Then there are some brilliant female comedians and I think they show up more when they're doing sketches rather than when they're doing stand-up. Yeah I was going to ask you about that have you ever done stand-up? Only once where again (laughs) I was being daring I always thought I can do sketches but to stand up and just be me. Terrifying. I know and that's kind of why I like the motivational speaking because that's a new adrenaline rush that's another kick that's like no get up and be yourself and talk about yourself and be transparent and vulnerable without being a character see how that Mm. feels and that shakes me up much more than acting. Yeah. So um, so that's my new thrill, you know, that's my next level. But um, I, I went to Covent Garden with a friend and um, somebody was giving out leaflets that come and watch free comedy, stand-up, whatever. In, it was quite an important club, I think. So we went downstairs to the basement and again, I found the acts to not be very inspiring or that, you know, um, polished. And I thought, hmm... I think I could do this. So um, I asked the guy, I said, could I get up and have a go? Because it's only like six minutes. And he's like, oh, uh, yes, okay." And then I thought, oh, my God, what have I done? But (laughs) what I do is I throw myself in and then there's no backing out. And then I get on with it because 
went well. But you went there and then without any preparation. <laughs> yes. So I thought, OK, ah. if I did it without preparation, I'm OK maybe if I prepare. But actually, sometimes I'm not good preparing because then I'm trying to remember what I've prepared. Yes. And yeah. I get a bit... Um, Getting up then, I had like five minutes to think, oh, my God, what can I talk about? What do I start with? And I thought, well, I've just been for a mammogram and um, I'll talk about that because I think it's hilarious um, how bad they are. <laughs> they, haven't invented, yeah, they haven't invented something yet that could be like a cup that sucks on and just twists around. Yeah. You've got to like yes. slap on your breast. Yeah. Into, and I haven't and got flatten much. It. Yeah. yeah, and then squeeze it and flatten it. And, and So I decided to talk about that and how awkward it all is. Then I talked about the tooth fairy uh, because my daughter had caught on that there is no tooth fairy and that it was me. And then she was getting more and more demanding that I needed to wear wings. <laughs> I needed to put it under the pillow at a certain time. <laughs> you know? And she still wanted the pound, even though she knew I was the tooth fairy. And now, cheekily, she's 12. I asked her the other day, a big tooth came out, and I said, oh, are we still going to play the whole tooth fairy thing? She said, you can put it on my uh, account, on my debit card. Because <laughs> I've just got her a card now. So she's like, put everything on the card. <laughs> And then just one thing here that I, obviously I said earlier on is that uh, you do your own stunts. Mm. What stunts do well, you do? Well, that's kind of a joke, <laughs> but it turned out it wasn't that much of a joke. For instance, in Jordan, there's no health and safety or in the Middle East. You just go for it, you know. So in, in movies or an Egyptian movie I did, we literally, yeah, I was doing my own stunts, driving this car and I was meant to run over someone and stop in time and do God knows what. So when I came to England, I got an episode in Doctors and uh, I have to fall down the stairs and die. <laughs> so I was really laughing inside that they had a mattress and they had a stump person and they had God knows what going on there, you know, thinking, oh, that's how they do it in England. Um, but then uh, I think the director felt that maybe I'm easygoing and I'd just go with and they could do it better if we didn't do it with the mattress and everything. So he said, if the stunt guy just stood behind you and held you from from your back as you lean back, could you hold the banister and just suddenly let go and go down two steps and then we'll cut to you already down there and scream? I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I get up and I completely like throw myself to this guy who wasn't expecting. He was thinking I'd do like this carefully, like two step, let go, slow motion. You know, they're like, oh my God, and everybody panicked. <laughs> so I think that's the sort of thing oh, I, I mean it. by doing my own stunts, yeah. Thank you so much indeed, Rania Cody. It's been really fantastic to have you here. We're making yes, waves. Thank you, brilliant. I've had a lovely time. Thank you both. I thought Rania Kurdi was hilarious in a, in a nice sense. She has a humour that I really enjoy. Oh, absolutely. She was great company in the studio. We both really, really enjoyed meeting her. And I think off air afterwards, she did a couple of impersonations that just had me really, really killing myself laughing. She was great fun. Very interested in the Snapchat part of her transition from the Middle East back to the UK. Yeah, I, I really liked and I completely got the description of her being the Tracy Ullman of the Middle East because that's how she's described in some of the social media things that you see. But really, really talented. You know, you can tell that she's really going to go far and anything that she tries, she's just going to succeed. You're listening to Women Making Waves. 